The Courage to Lead, episode 190. You're listening to the IB4E Coaching Podcast. Brought to you by IB4E Coaching, business coaching for executives, entrepreneurs, and small business professionals. Learn more at ib4e-coaching.com. Hey, Coach Harlan here. Welcome back to the podcast. Hope you guys are having an exceptional week. I'm having a great week, and I'm excited to introduce you to my guest today. Please help me welcome Joe Templin, reformed physicist, financial planner, startup founder, and autodidactic polymath. Best described as a Swiss army knife, Joe Templin has invested the past two and a half plus decades to helping others reach their financial potential as a planner, trainer, mentor, and creator. Joe served as a member of NAFA, the National Association of Insurance and Financial Advisors, on local, state, and national level, including three terms on the NAFA National Young Advisor Team Subcommittee, and was honored as one of 2011 Four Under 40. He's a graduate of Leadership in Life Institute of NAFA, as well as Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute, and is an alum of the Johns Hopkins University. Joe is the author of Everyday Excellence, the Kindle number one new release in professional development. Uh, Joe also co-authored Do You Want to Make MDRT or Not with Dr. John Stoke, as well as Choices, Creating a Financial Service Career. Joe, welcome to the program. Coach, I'm looking forward to being here. This is going to be fun. This is going to be awesome. Oh, okay. so just to clarify some things, because I, there are probably listeners out there scratching their head, what exactly is an autodidactic polymath? So I say polymath as opposed to Renaissance man, because I can't draw a straight line even with a ruler. I mean, my Cub Scouts were making fun of my drawings, like six-year-olds saying how bad my stuff looked. So that tells you the ability, my artistic availability. And my mom was a great artist and my brothers and sisters are all. So obviously that gene skipped me, uh, but I got the height and they're all five foot tall. So there's that. <laughs> there you go, you win. Um, and autodidactic comes from the fact that my mom and dad early on encouraged us to pursue what interests us, to go down the rabbit holes, to chase bugs and to read whatever books we wanted to, in fact, all the books. And so I literally am a sponge in a lot of ways. So my background encompasses applied physics, performance psychology, uh, behavioral economics, tax code, martial arts, music. So. I literally get fascinated by almost anything. I want to learn it awesome. and take the essence from it. And then one of the things is that I have very good synthetic creativity in that I can take ideas from multiple places nice. and allow them to cross-pollinate into new ideas. That is awesome. Definitely a Renaissance man. And I see why you say now the uh, Swiss Army knife. Absolutely. Because you can draw from all those different things, right? To craft right. solutions. Perfect. All right. We're going to get back, talk about that, um, talk about how you got started, how you got to where you are now, who you help and how you help them, um, among other topics. But before we get started, I've got 10 questions that I like to ask every one of my guests. These are the questions made famous on the TV show Inside the Actor's Studio, where the host James Lipton asks these same questions of his Hollywood guests from TV, film, and stage. And Can I figured- you to ask it like the Saturday Night Live version though? <laughs> no, this is gonna be straight, Darn. straight, straight. All right, um, so yeah, 10 questions for you, Joe. Question number one, what is your favorite word? This is actually a tie. I cannot make a decision between the word defenestration, which means to throw somebody through a window, and panache, which means to do something with flair or style and comes from 
the old French meaning a battle flag. Well, can't you throw somebody with panache out a window? Absolutely. Perfect. That is okay. the whole thing. That would be the perfect. <laughs> That's moment. excellent. Good job. All right. What is your least favorite word? No. What turns you on? Life. What turns you off? Laziness. Good. What sound or noise do you love? The coffee pot in the morning. <laughs> I'm with you on that one. What sound or noise do you hate? No. Um, what is your favorite curse word? Tabernacle. It's a <laughs> French uh, Canadian slang. Okay. We'll leave that one for people to look up. Google that, folks. All right. Um, what profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Emperor. Okay. What profession would you not like to do? Accountant. With you. All right. Final question. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Good job. Here's your beer. Nice. <laughs> Excellent. All right. Very cool. All right, Joe, we're going to come back in a little bit. Like I said, we're going to talk about how you got your start, how you got to where you are now, all the different awards you've, you've won, the things, your books that you've written and everything. Um, and at some point, we're going to transition into courage and leadership. All right. So listeners, we're going to be talking about all of that and more right after this. So stick with us. Imagine having a trusted group of CEOs at your disposal. Imagine having your very own peer advisory team who could work you through the problems and questions in your business before you had to make those difficult decisions. Imagine you had a group of advisors that had your back and met for the sole purpose of making you successful in your business. What would you be able to accomplish then? Well, you don't have to imagine anymore. You can have that and more when you join my Business Success Mastermind Group. Join my Business Success Mastermind Group today. Learn more at ib4e-coaching.com forward slash mastermind. And I'm back with my guest, Joe Templin. Joe, thanks again for taking time out to, uh, to talk with us. You're a busy guy. You've got a lot of stuff going on. Yeah, I don't sleep that much. I also <laughs> multitask well. Do you? And you are, like you said, you're into uh, ultra marathons, right? Mm -hmm. And martial arts. How did you get involved in martial arts? When did that start? So when I was probably nine, no, probably 11 years old, there was a kid on the bus harassing my kid sisters. And my kid sisters are tiny. I mean, they're five foot today if they wear high heel shoes. Uh, and so my mom put him into Taekwondo at the local YMCA. And about a month and a half later, I started studying. And I ended up sticking with it because it just resonated with me for some reason. And that was almost 40 years ago. And I'm still doing it every single morning. Wow. And you're a fourth Dan in Korean martial yep. arts. And I'm actually testing for my next rank uh, next month because my master called me and he's like, it's been 20 plus years you've been at this rank. Yeah. You're testing. I'm like, oh, okay. Wow. I just, so you, you still get out there every every week or so? Every, every morning, I train. Every morning. Every single awesome. morning, I still throw at least 100 punches with each hand of the first technique that I learned, other than how to bow and stand, uh, horse stance, or punch. And so at this point, I've literally thrown 10 million punches. 
And so I don't have to think about it in any way, shape or form. And I'm faster than guys half my age because I refuse to give into the aging process. But also focusing on fundamentals is one of the ways that you can make sure that you lead by example in a lot of ways. And you make sure that you can build back up from that rock bottom at any point. So it doesn't matter if I'm recovering from a back injury like I was last year, or you've got all this other stuff going on in the world. If you can just do that basic stuff, even for a couple of minutes, it helps set your brain and the um, trajectory for your Mm -hmm. day. Absolutely. Well, and that's a lot of good parallels for business too. You know, you revert back to your training, you revert back to your training. So the more you practice something, the more you do something, the better you get at it. And then you can just rely on that muscle memory, right? Well, we don't rise to our expectations. We fall to the level of our training. Perfect. And so that's one of the reasons why I'm working with uh, people that I coach is sort of like in that one basketball movie with, um, I can't remember the name of it. Uh, it's where they have the Flint tropics. It's a minor league team and they practice one uh, play over and over and over again until they call it the puke because it is so ingrained in them that they don't have to think. And that's literally how you have to be with different components of what you do. So that is, as I said, unconscious competence and you can just do it. And that is where you're truly in a world of mastery and can then focus on yourself on the other individuals and be able to be of more service and value. Yeah. Very cool. Are your sons involved in martial arts too? Uh, unfortunately, no, my youngest studied for a while, but with COVID hit and everything, um, and, uh, closing down for a bit. And I actually have him studying under somebody else because nobody listens to their own parents. Right. Absolutely. And so I had my kids study under somebody else. My youngest is ADHD and autistic. And this individual, uh, Master Torres, who I actually quote in the book, um, is very, very good with individuals with special needs. And after he, you know, figured out who I was and realized my background and everything, all of a sudden, you know, a lot of respect, a lot, a lot of interaction. We talk about different things. It's like, nice. you know, you can tell my students anything that you want. And he keeps telling my kids, you know, your dad's a badass. Never, don't forget that. It's <laughs> awesome. So your youngest son, you said it has autism? Autism and, then, and he's ADHD. I have two kids wow. on the spectrum. Wow. That's, that's tough. That's a lot to deal with. Yeah. Yeah. But I guess the martial arts training probably helps a little bit, doesn't it? With the, the focus. It, and everything. It helps him in a lot of yeah. ways because one of the things that Torres taught him, which um, I reinforce with people that I coach and with myself, actually, focus and finish. And so if an eight-year-old with ADHD in the midst of a, you know, all the chaos of a Taekwondo class can focus and finish, so can we as big people. Yeah. I mean, you, you turn the phone off and you put it in the drawer for, until you finish the task. You turn the internet off and set 20-minute alarm on your phone so that you can just pound through what you're doing. You know, it allows you to learn some of these skills in terms of time management that can allow you to maximize your performance. Very cool. And you probably bring a lot of these lessons into your consulting that you do, right? Yes. So, you know, one of the things that you've 
probably you know brought to the forefront with all of your guests and your experience is that we are the sum of everything that's happened to us before. And my father, who was a consultant for 50 plus years, taught me something decades ago in that in every situation, whether it's reading a book, whether it's attending a seminar, whether it's a podcast, whether it's an interaction with another human being, or it's a class, you should find the pearls of wisdom, as he called them, I call them the pearls of excellence. Yeah. The one thing that you can take from that and apply. And if you can string together enough of these pearls, you end up having a very rich life. Yeah, absolutely. Very cool. So a reformed physicist, is that something you wanted to do? You wanted to become oh, a yeah. physicist? Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I always wanted to understand everything that there was to understand. And, uh, so when Star Wars came on out when I was like uh, four or five years old, I'm like, was fascinated by the blasters and everything. So because of that, I ended up becoming an optical physicist and actually working on high energy laser weapons for a little wow. while. So I actually was doing that, but um, I ended up because of some family issues and other things, drifting out of physics, going into financial planning and other things. But the mindset of a physicist reminds me because the physicist, the philosopher, the psychologist and the poet are all asking the same question. Why? Why? Yeah. And so as a consultant, I do that all the time. And I preface it uh, before I start working with any clients so that they understand. And, you know, my geek factor is very high, as you can see, because I've got like my Lego Avengers Quinjet back there. Um, so I just make sure that this is just the way that I am but the curiosity and the understanding and looking for models that we can apply to simplify the universe, you know, is something that I'm really more of an amateur physicist at this point, because I love it as opposed to being mm -hmm. a professional physicist and getting paid for it. But it's a mindset that you carry forward with you. Nice. you know, hopefully till the day that I die, I'll have that curiosity. Absolutely. Very cool. So yeah. When did you get involved in uh, insurance and financial advisors? So I was doing my master's work in physics and my godfather and namesake, brilliant engineer, absolutely brilliant engineer, who's also a farmer, um, ended up dying unexpectedly. And there had been no financial planning done, 20 plus year old will and a crooked attorney. And so we wow. ended up losing the family farm. Wow. And so I went into financial advising to try and make sure that didn't happen to anybody else. So the horror story that they often tell in financial services is, oh, you know, you'll lose the family farm. Yeah, we actually did have that happen. So, wow. wow. And from that, you know, I had already been, uh, earned my black belt in Taekwondo and was teaching Taekwondo and competing. So I had a lot of performance psychology at that point. I started studying sales psychology and motivational psychology. I started uh, recruiting and developing other financial advisors and so that's where a lot more of my management came on in and I was working on my MBA. And so that's how I kept rounding out and expanding my horizons in terms of knowledge. And so that led me into ultimately consulting to insurance companies, training development. I still do that to this day. Um, I work with thousands of advisors across the country in terms of helping them understand themselves because as Sun Tzu said, he who knows his enemy and himself will ever be victorious. So working with them on that and growing and developing them so that they can go out there and impact more people and help them. Nice. And do you still have your own clients as far as financial advice? I've got people who call me and, you know, ask for my insight, but I'm not doing active planning at this point. Okay. 
just helping no, others. I'm, because yeah. I've gone broader and deeper, financial planning to me is a tool. Same way like life insurance or a mutual fund or a will are all tools within the financial planning world. Financial planning is a set of tools to achieve personal excellence. So your financial planning is as important as your physical health, which is as important as your nutrition, which influences a lot of these other things, as your mental health, as your career growth, as your relationship uh, capital. So these are all components of having the good life overall. Nice. Very cool. The one thing I admire about you is reading through your bio and everything is you don't do anything halfway. If you get involved in something, you go deep and broad in that topic. I think that's awesome. I, I try to because one, you know, not sleeping very much uh, helps with that. <laughs> Two, uh, the motto of RPI where I went, uh, Rensselaer Polytechnic, we call it RPI because we can't spell because we're engineers. <laughs> I mean, actually the school mo- uh, mascot is the engineer. So think about how scary that is. Yeah. We will disintegrate you. Uh, <laughs> but is knowledge and thoroughness. And so you need to have this broad knowledge base so that you can be conversant and can take ideas from different places. But also you need to be able to go deep within these so that you can understand the exceptions and where the rules start breaking down and where some of the changes are. And so that way you can then have very synthetic creativity around it so that you can take concepts from applied physics and martial arts and put them together and apply it in the financial world. And it's having this multiplicity of concepts available that basically allows you to have a giant toolbox and then you can, the greater your knowledge and skill set, the more that you can use. That's one of the reasons why I say that I'm a business Swiss Army knife, because really I'm more like the MacGyver, because I can take the bubble gum and duct tape and uh, paper clip and be able to take over the world with it. Yeah, absolutely. That, when I first saw a physicist, I, I thought I'm MacGyver, you know, because that's, that's the guy that I, I love to watch and, and try to model on. Yeah. Very cool. Um, but and you've done a ton of stuff too. You've written for Albany Times Union, The Advisor, Today Magazine, Files from Journal, Insurance News. Is this all insurance and financial related articles? Uh, actually, all the stuff for uh, um, like the Albany Times Union was for, this was when I was a young professional still in my 20s and 30s, was for other young professionals on professional development mindset you know all i in fact i stayed completely away from finance and the past few years most of my stuff's been on uh more behavioral finance uh so very much like thaler and uh kahneman sort of stuff you know they end up winning nobel prizes in economics Mm -hmm. for their work there nudge theory uh, allocation. So, uh, I've done a lot on taxation because I was a big tax wonk for a long period of time. So having these different arenas allows me to, again, uh, give really deep insight into something that most people in that space don't even think about. Because for example, most financial advisors don't think about personal health or mental health and the way that impacts clients long range financial uh, plan. You know, most advisors don't think about how to build an an introduction based business from a psychology point of view. So having this disparate skill set allows me to 
bring value to those people and then help them be better in their space. So they are more productive and they can do a better job for the people that they work with. Because ultimately I help people. I help people and organizations from there be better to become more excellent and have a greater positive impact on the world. So having the greatest possible skill set that I can get my hands on, whether it's my own knowledge or through relationships with other individuals, allows us to be able to have that greater impact. Awesome. So tell me more about that, the intro machine, right? Introduction-based business. Yep. What is that? So the if you look, still way too many people who are in sales, and in the end, we're almost all in sales in some capacity. Right. Exactly. Uh, but those people who are actually in sales, whether they're selling a financial product, whether they are selling a physical product, or they're selling themselves. I mean, consultants sell themselves and their experience and their capabilities of thinking and helping the client solve problems. So when you look at that, that's probably 30 plus million, maybe 40 plus million individuals in the United States fall within those spaces. And too many of them are still cold calling or sending hundreds of emails, hoping to get one hit and all that. And so an introduction-based business is literally a hundred times more efficient. And my friend Joey Davenport, who's the president of the Hoopers Performance Network, says that cold calling is God's punishment for those who haven't learned how to get introduction. <laughs> and exactly. so, you know, building an introduction-based business comes down to really two things, your skill set and your will set. And so a lot of everyday excellence and what I'm doing on that end of things is about building that will set, teaching people to be more resilient, to have greater belief in themselves, to do the little things because confidence follows competence. And we're all told, fake it till you make it. No, that's BS, okay? What you need to do is you need to become better. Okay, And we can all become better in multiple ways, whether it's our physical health, our mental health, our knowledge in our space. You know, one of the things that I talk with salespeople all the time, I have a couple of buddies who played in the NHL and game time is not practice time. These guys right. would practice for four or five hours for 10 minutes of ice time yeah. at the highest level. So, and this is after decades of practice from the time that they were five years old and first put on skates and were tripoding around. So if these people who are literally among the elite in the world in that space are practicing that much for that little face time, essentially, why are we who are regular salespeople or just building a career or attorneys or what have you, why are we not taking that same amount of discipline and preparation in terms of doing what we do so that we can be better than we are now? Absolutely. So it's more than just networking. This is actually building yourself up to a point where people think of you and refer people to you and introduce you to people they know, right? Right. And it's also about having a process to be comfortable to ask for introductions because as I teach people, and here's you know some insight for your listeners, because your listeners, probably a lot of them are in the consulting world. The way to build an introduction-based business is pretty simple. Four steps. One, tell them that you're going to ask them for introductions. Two, earn the right to ask for introductions. This is a big one, okay? Add value in every single interaction that you have with them, okay? That action interaction needs to be profitable for the client. And profitable means that they get more than what they pay for. So add value all the time. Three, 
ask. Yeah, I don't care if you're using a feeder list. I don't care if you've got set questions. I don't care if you're asking them, hey, you know, walk me over to this person at this conference. You need to ask. And then the last part, make it easy for them because clients are lazy. So make it easy for them. You know, give them a list of five people that you found from their LinkedIn profile mm -hmm. that you want to meet and say, hey, I know that you know these people. I want to call them. Do me a favor and cross off all the jerks because the only jerk allowed in the room is me. I literally say that to clients. And you know, I'll hand them a list of five to seven names and they might cross off one or two, but then they'll write other names. Like, oh, you got to talk to someone, so you got to talk to someone. Okay, but you make it a process. It's a habit, okay? Habits lead to excellence or they lead to ruin. So, you know, it's the things that you do every single day. And we can go and talk about this for hours if we want. Hours, yeah. um, but you, if you, it's the things that you do consistently. Consistence leads to excellence. And so if you consistently do the right things for your clients and ask for introductions, you're going to build an introduction-based business. If you consistently eat teen, uh, donuts and cheeseburgers and all that, you're going to get diabetes. So it is the result of the daily activities that you do repetitively that either lead you on a good path or a bad path. Love that. Yeah, asking is a big thing. A lot of people don't don't ask. They think they're imposing. It's no, like, no, people yeah, want to afraid. help you. And it's like, no, if, if yeah. you've created tremendous value, if you've saved them hundreds of thousands of dollars in taxes, if you prevented a major lawsuit, if you got them to avoid going down a, a bad path, or if you enhance them in multiple ways, you know what? One, get them to admit it, mm -hmm. get them to you know tell you that. And then two, ask them who else they know, because if you're doing a great job for them, then they want to share you, maybe not with their competitors, but they'll know people who are not direct competitors of theirs that you can definitely help. Right. Like I said, make it easy for them. A lot of people don't know how to introduce or they're not sure how to present you, yeah. right? Make so here's another, another great tip for your listeners. The mutual introduction test text is great. Okay. So, you know, at the end of this, when you think that I'm incredible and you want me to meet one of your buddies, you'll text them, Harlan, and you'll say, hey, so-and-so, this is Joe. He was an awesome guest, you know, and he can probably add a lot of value to you. He's sort of weird, but deal with it. Hey, <laughs> Joe, this is so-and-so. They're my friend. They run this company that does $10 million a year in production, and you can probably enhance them in a lot of ways. Boom. And just do that. Get your client to do that because they're very comfortable with it. It's a low risk way to do it. And then you wait for the person that they introduced you to, to respond. And if three or four days go by and they don't, then you step up, but let the other one make the first move. And you know, as they say in Anchorman, 60% of the time it works every time. Yeah. <laughs> but it does, awesome. it does work it does. from what I've seen somewhere around 75 to 80%. Well, like you said, you have to build up your value, right? Yep. So work on that. So tell me about your book, Everyday Excellence. So that come about? Everyday Excellence is a multivitamin for life because we've all got these different dimensions of things that are important to us. As I said, our physical health, our mental health, our spiritual health, our occupation, our relationships, all these different things. And we're missing stuff in a lot of these areas. And so... The structure of the book is every day there is a quote from someone. Could be Dr. Seuss, could be Mahatma Gandhi, could be Derek Jeter. Big Yankees fan, so I've got to get Derek Jeter. <laughs> um, and then there's discussion around it. And we have lots of these different areas. And 
the interesting thing is that the reader finds what they need. If you're looking for insight on a particular part of your life, you will find that more often than not in the pages every day. So it is very inter uh, personalized in that it leads to self-reflection in a lot of ways. And I discuss across so many different things with different examples that the reader can draw what they need. But the big thing is that unlike a lot of the other daily readers is there's an action item. Because if we don't actually make a change, if we don't do something, it's all and we don't, we just continue on with our life. But each page, each uh, day takes two to five minutes total generally uh, to read and then do the action item. And the action items can be as complex as sitting there and doing a SWOT analysis at the start of the year or sitting there and spending five minutes brainstorming on where you want your life to be in five years so that you can start working towards it. It could be as simple as smiling at five people today. Yeah. Okay. And I had the former head of psychiatry at one of the big medical centers read this. And they're like, there is so much psychology hidden beneath the surface here. Nice. This is incredible. And you make it consumable for the average individual. Excellent. Very cool. And if, when you read the book, you can hear my voice in it. I, my writing style is very reflective of my conversation style. And so it's not imposing. It's not this, you know, complex, dense, uh, you know, psychological analysis or physics textbook. It's almost like two people having a conversation and getting some guidance from your little weird older cousin. <laughs> Excellent. So is this uh, the type of book you have to read cover to cover or can you jump nope. to that, that you section? Never read it cover to cover. In fact, my cousin started doing it. I'm like, stop, Tracy, don't do it that way. It's, it's a daily reader. So you read the introduction mm -hmm. and then you read that day. So if you're starting in June, like we are now, I would recommend read the first few days of it just to get an idea and then jump straight to today and read it mm -hmm. from that point forward. And then nice. come January 1st, go back and start at the beginning again. And you can cycle through it because as the Stoics said, no man can walk through the same river twice because the river is different Constantly. and the person is yep. different. I'm, I literally read my book every single morning. Nice. It's one of the first things I do. I get up at sometime between 4 and 4.15 in the morning. I read whatever daily reader that I'm reading at that point, whether it's the Daily Stoic uh, the daily laws, what have you, then I read my book that I wrote and I do the action item. Nice. Then I go and work out and it's processing through my head sure. while I do that. Yeah. Yeah. That's one thing I don't think people understand. You read something like that first thing in the morning, it's with you all day. It's working back in the, in the subconscious mind, right? Yeah. I mean, like it literally alters your reticular activation system for a mm -hmm. while. And so it's going to change what you do and how you do it. And so what I'm hoping is that it helps clear out some of the junk in people's mental filters and make them focus on things that at the end of the day are going to leave them with a plus for the day as opposed to a negative. Excellent. Very cool. And you've co-authored a couple of books, right? Yep. So uh, they were with Dr. Johan Stolk. Uh, he is now either a major or a colonel in the Royal Dutch Marine Corps, former psychological operations and counterterrorism. Wow. So he's also a polymath. 
uh, autodidactic in a lot of ways. And there's a reason why he and I are very close friends. You know, I haven't seen him since the start of the pandemic. So he's got his PhD in business. And so we come from very different backgrounds, uh, very different attitudes, cultures, but the whole idea is we can be better and we can do cool stuff. And so we approach them from those different points of view. And very often on the coaching books, he was approaching it from a military uh, background and a general business while I was approaching it from within the industry and the martial arts point of view. And so you can see where the interactions occur throughout the book of bouncing ideas back and forth and looking at what the uh, advisor or the agency or the company is doing from multiple perspectives so that they can get a better understanding, which then allows them to tailor the concepts and ideas to the specifics of their situation. Very cool. So the title of one of the books, Do You Want to Make MDRT or Not? What is MDRT? So MDRT is the million dollar round table. It's basically the who's who for financial services providers. So insurance and agents, investment advisors, people in that space. Uh, MDRT is roughly the top 10% of the industry and and it's a global uh, thing. So Japan, China, Southeast Asia, South America, Africa, everybody's trying for it. So it's roughly the top 6% of the industry in the world, top 10% in the United States. And then there's multiple levels above that. There's core to the table, which is uh, three times MDRT level production. That's roughly about 2% of the producers. Uh, And then there's top of the table, which is the top one-tenth of 1% of the producers. It's six times what million dollar round table is. Wow. And I've actually hit that level of production before, which is one of the reasons why people actually listen to me because you lead by example. I'm not sure. telling them, oh, do this, I've never done it. No, you know, do this, I have done it before. You can do it too. If I can do it, anybody can do it. I mean, look at this face, face made for radio. <laughs> and then choices, creating a financial services career. That's for people just starting out? Uh, that is actually a little bit more advanced than um, MD, do you want to make MDRT or not? It's broader too. So it's for people who are considering the industry or people okay. who have been in the industry for a little while and need to go back to those fundamentals that we talked about yeah. and be able to go to those higher levels. Excellent. Very cool. So let's talk about courage. Where did you find the courage? You know, we talk about how people find the courage to walk away from their nine to five job, that safety mm-hmm. net of the, of the nine to five to create their own success. And they find the courage to overcome the setbacks, the divorce, bankruptcy, you know, whatever it happens to be. Um, you've had a varied career and you branched out and started doing things on your own, right? Creating your own success. Where did that courage come from? So I was dead when I was 10 years old. I mentioned before that I started Taekwondo when I was like 11 and when I was eight, I wanted to learn everything. In between there, you need to know that I was a severe, severe asthmatic. And during the 1970s, we didn't have the puffers and all the cool stuff like that. You know, you're having an asthma attack. They give you a shot of adrenaline in the heart sometimes. And they put you in an oxygen tent in the hospital for a while. And so like in second grade, I missed over half the school year. They were going to fail me until the national test came back. I think they were called SRAs at that point. I got a perfect score. It was like one of the first words. They're like, well, I guess we sort of have to like, you know, (laughs) let them go on to the next year. But my handwriting is still like a six-year-old. So there is that. Um, So 
I, uh, at 10 years old, I've had a really bad asthma attack and I'm lying there at the, on the table, the exam table at Doc Murray's and all of a sudden I'm floating up and there's the bright lights and all this stuff. And uh, Doc Murray, like, you know, gets eight extra arms. He turns into an octopus. He's going like this. My mom's freaking out. And I heard the big, deep voice. Now it's time. Bang, I'm back down my body, having trouble breathing. Wow. You know, but I'm still there and I go to the hospital. And so from that point forward, I have maximized every single moment, if possible, of my time. We all, all get 86,400 seconds. I don't care if you're Elon Musk or somebody finishing up college. We all have the same amount of time in the day. And when they turn the page on that day, it's done. You don't get any of it back. You can't bank it for the future. Yeah. So I want to try and truly maximize that. So part of that was setting up my career early on so that I would eventually be able to have the time with my kids, even before I had kids or thought about marriage or all that. I knew I wanted to be able to spend time with them. I knew I wanted to be able to be in control of my own destiny. I am a Ronin. Uh, you know, the Sigma male is the current term that everyone uses. Right. I prefer Ronin masterless samurai because I've been offered the opportunity to go on and lead organizations, to be president of a company, to go run in a big agency or things like that. I don't want to do that. It's not my nature to play the power games. It's not my nature to do that. I want to go on and help people out, have them have a 10, 15, 20% improvement have certain individuals in there really get the message, really flip their switch, and they're like suddenly in a complete and totally different stratosphere in terms of what they're doing mm -hmm. and be able to go on and help the next one and the next one and be able to have the global reach through the uh, doing podcasts like this, writing articles, the books, things like that. So I want to be able to maximize my impact that way Excellent. as opposed to being pigeonholed within a particular organization. Yeah. So having the courage to do that when you're dead afterwards, you have lots of courage. Like they, <laughs> like uh, in um, fight club, when they take the clerk out and they put the gun to the back of his head and ask, what do you want to be? I wanted to be a veterinarian. And they're like, I'm coming back and in six months. I'm shooting you. If you are not in veterinarian school. And he's like, his food will taste better. It'll be the most mm -hmm. beautiful sunset. And he's going to be more, uh, uh, you know, powerful than ever. Sure. If you can have that motivation within yourself, yeah. then you're going to make those choices. Because the big thing is, and this is something I talk about regularly with my clients, is in every decision that we make, and we make about 10,000 micro decisions yes. a day, but yeah. there's a lot of bigger ones that, as opposed to, you know, do I eat this or that for breakfast? There's real big decisions. And in every single one of these decisions, we can either take the easy path or the hard path. Yeah. If you take the easy path, it feels good in the moment. I'm going to eat the donut instead of eating healthy. I love donuts. Okay. Yeah. National Donut Day, I had donuts, <laughs> 10 donuts. So it was epic. Um, so you can choose to play video games instead of crack the textbook and study. Right. You can choose to take the drag on the cigarette. You can choose to avoid having the conversation with your significant other or your business partner or whatever, because it doesn't, it doesn't feel good in the moment, but right. it's going to be the right thing overall. Mm -hmm. Or if you do that though, what happens over time? If you're smoking the cigarettes, you get lung cancer. If you're eating all of the donuts, you're going to get diabetes and your pants aren't going to fit. If you play video games instead of studying, you're going to fail out. 
Okay, so the thing that feels good in the moment that's easy leads to the bad path. But if you get up in the morning and go running, even though it's raining and it sucks running in the rain, but you're going to be better for that. You're going to have more resilience. You're going to have more physical strength. You're going to have more endurance. You did the hard thing and it leads to the easier path. Studying, you pass the exams, you get the better job, you make more money, better path in life. You know, having the difficult conversation, yeah, there's an activation energy around it that people want to avoid. But if you can overcome the activation energy, you unleash more energy overall and you get something better out of it. So you can either take the easy path or the right path. And so courage comes from understanding what the right path is and believing in what's on the other side of that path enough to be able to walk it, even though there's danger. Exactly. Yeah. Courage is feeling the fear, but doing what's right, doing what's necessary. I mean, as John Wayne said, courage is being scared to death, but still saddling up anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And taking the easy path just kicks that can down the road. You're going to face that. Exactly. And that's what politicians do. Do you want to be a politician? I didn't think so. (laughs) You know, you have ethics, you have integrity. So, um, have you read Courage is Calling by Ryan Holiday? No, I have not. Oh, dude, you got to read it. Okay. It's a great book. In fact, in the prelude to it, he actually uses one of my favorite myths of all time. He talks about Hercules and the two paths. So Hercules as a young demigod is presented uh, with two different paths on his journey. One path has the beautiful goddess clad in linen, and she promises them the life of ease. He'd never be challenged. He'd never know pain. He would never know suffering. It would be easy. Every earthly desire fulfilled. Hedonism, mm-hmm. unknown. And at the end of three generations, though, his name would be forgotten. Mm-hmm. The other path had a goddess clad in battle armor. And she promised pain and suffering and challenge and worry and you know all this risk. If he took that path, there was no guarantee, but at the end of it, he might earn immortality and take his place among the gods. And he took that path, he had the 12 labors, and he literally cleaned the crap out of the stables, and he fought the Nemean lion, and he fought the hydra that every time you cut off a head, another one would appear, sort of like being a business owner. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And in the end, he took his place among the gods. And so... We face that choice constantly as business owners, as parents, as spouses, as friends, as human beings. And the way to greatness, maybe not being on Olympus, but the way to greatness is to take that difficult path. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, somebody told me one time, every decision we make every minute of every day of our life makes us who we are. Yeah. So those little small decisions too. It's not the big things. It's not, you know, but those important decisions. Well, it's the, there's 10,000 micro choices we make in a day. And as Colossus tells Deadpool, four or five moments, four or five moments determine if we're a hero or a villain determines our outcome. And for those of us without superpowers, it's not those big choices. It's yeah. those four or five micro decisions for the day that determine is the day a positive or a negative. Because if you can have more positives than negative, your life's going to trend up. And the way that you get those positive days is actually by making the harder choices along the way. Eating the apple as opposed to having the um, 
ho-hos or little Debbie snacks or whatever. <laughs> you know, it's taking the stairs and, you know, doing the little bit more physical activity than sitting on your butt. It is doing the difficult project at work and really putting your heart into it as opposed to taking the easy path and right. shirking your responsibilities. So Absolutely. those four or five little choices per day end up determining is that day a win or a loss. Love it. That's awesome. So uh, what type of courage do you think is most important for a leader or an entrepreneur? I think it's moral courage, actually. I mean, we should all know what the right thing is. The question is doing it. So for example, there have been points in my career where I did the morally correct thing and it sucked. I lost mm -hmm. hundreds of thousands of dollars. from. Mm -hmm. I lost prestige. I lost who I thought were friends. There was all sorts of blowback, but it was the right thing to do. And it, as I said, it sucked in the moment. It sucked three months later when I was having trouble paying my bills because I gave up a quarter million dollars in revenue to do the right thing. Yeah. And you know what? I can always make more money. There's more jobs out there. There's more clients. There's more opportunity. But my soul, I only got one of those. I'm not trading it for 30 pieces of silver or $300,000. Yep. So doing the right thing, even when it is not expeditious, when it costs you in the short term, is actually the long-term right thing because your integrity is worth it. And that's something for all consultants out there. Absolutely. Don't trade your integrity for anything. Exactly. Do the right ethical thing. And even if you don't get the big bucks, you're going to get the rewards. Absolutely. hundred um, percent. Do you have an example of somebody, a leader that you've worked with or worked for that you think showed good, strong moral courage? Let me think about this. I, I've got, you know, there was, actually, here's a really good example. So I've got, uh, my buddy in, uh, he's a, a managing director for an insurance company, financial services firm. And there was somebody who was putting up good numbers, but turns out they were doing it in the wrong way. Mm. And even though it directly impacted him positively to have this happen, he said, nope, cut him, got rid of him because that was a future compliance nightmare. This person was showing all the red flags of a future major, major issue. Better to get rid of them before it put down roots yeah. and truly grows. And uh, this individual that he ended up getting rid of probably could have produced fifty dollars to $75,000 a year of revenue for the, for the manager personally yeah. going directly into his pocket. Wow. And my guy said, nope, it's not worth it. We do things a certain way here. We do things the right and ethical way. And he cut them. I've seen ex uh, hundreds of examples on the other side of that where the manager keeps somebody around mm -hmm. who is in the gray and going beyond the gray because of the revenue that they generate. Right. And it's happened over and over right. and over again. And I'm you know, actually glad that my buddy did that because if he can have the moral courage and the financial courage to give up on something like that by doing the right thing, that sends a message to the entire office. And it makes them more attractive over time to the right sort of people. So yeah, short term, it cost him. Mm -hmm. And long range, he'll lose that entire revenue line and all the growth yep. off of it. But he's going to be so much more because of 
doing the right thing. Exactly. Yeah. Always play the long game. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Um, is there a type of courage that comes easiest for you? You know what? Because I've got a thick Irish skull, physical courage actually comes pretty easily. Yeah. I mean, I, I literally bent the door frame, the car frame on my one vehicle with my skull during an accident. I used to be really smart until that happened. And I use that as my excuse. If I do something stupid, no, I'm pretty damaged. Yeah. Uh, and all my friends who have known me for decades are like, yeah, you always have them this way. So don't use that as an excuse. But I mean, yeah, I mean, I've got, I've got a freakish ability to just keep going no matter what. Maybe it's nice. because I'm Irish and too stupid to give up. But that's one of the reasons why I run ultra marathons. It's like, yeah. all right, it's just, you know, another five miles, another 10 miles. I can do this. You know, yeah, it's going to hurt, but it's, you know, it's just physical pain. So, you know, I fought my, my Tyson's sparring partners to a standstill 25 plus years ago. These guys, I was, you know, 150 pounds sopping wet. And these guys were 230, 240 pounds and had gone, you know, 15, 20 rounds of Mike Tyson. They literally get in the ring. Mike Tyson would beat the crap out of them. Wow, yeah. And, you know, these guys knocked me out of my feet, but I didn't stop fighting. I was out and kept going. Wow. And that's just the way I am. So, you know, that comes relatively easy to me because I understand that pain is passing. Glory is eternal. There you go. And even if I get hurt, I'm not necessarily going to get injured. And even if I'm going to get injured, I can recover. And, you know, I'm probably not going to die. And if I die, oh, well. Yep. Here's your beer. <laughs> yeah, here's my beer. Thank you very much. <laughs> Good deal. Um, is there a type of courage that is a little more difficult? Do you think? You know, when I have to make the financial decision to do something that's going to hurt and directly negatively impact, not necessarily me, my kids. Okay. You know, I have made choices that really, you know, I, I literally told my kids, this is going to hurt. This is going to cause problems. You know, we're not going to be able to do the stuff that we want to but it's the right thing. And so I explained why I was doing it to them so that they can understand why we're not going to Disney World yeah. or, you know, why, you know, we can't do certain things that I had hoped that we could do because it's the right thing. Nice. And I would rather they have a little bit more difficult life but understand that it is right and I would, did not trade my integrity and we'll make it up at some point. Yeah. Well, and setting a clear example. That's awesome. Yeah. And that's what we do as parents is our responsibility is to make sure that our children grow up to be independent, self-sufficient, good people, and hopefully leaders. Absolutely. And if we can do that, then we've done our job. Absolutely. I wish that's why parents... you're a scout leader. Yeah. Hopefully we're yeah. scout leader ever. If you ask my kids, but <laughs> no, I wish more parents felt that way. You know, it seems a lot of parents kind of let things, let the school handle it, let the church no, handle no, it. Let that's my job. Oh, yeah. And I actually have a quote on my board right here from Goethe. Too many parents make life hard for their children by trying too zealously to make it easy for them. Yeah. And so my kids know the answer is no. I make things hard for them in some ways because it will make them stronger. They'll learn to overcome it. Like my parents used to, you know, kick us out and say, you know, I'll see you at lunch, have fun. And as my kids tell me, or as I tell them, 
you know, go, you know, like when I drop them off for their exam say, go have fun, don't die. <laughs> and that's the admonition that we give each other. Nice. You know, have fun, don't die. And if you do that, you're probably going to have some great stories, exactly. but you're also going to have some great resiliency yep. to be overcome. My kids are not coddled. You know, they have the opportunity to have almost everything in the world, but they also know the value of hard work. They know the value of overcoming. And they know, I ask them two questions, whether it's about their, uh, you know, performance for music or in sports or academics. You know, there's two components. I care about their effort and I care about their attitude. So, mm -hmm. I, you know, my kid will get in the car and tell me about the exam and he knows the two questions. Did you give good effort leading up to it and during it? Yes. How was your attitude? Nice. If they develop those two things, then they're going to be successful. Love it. Very cool. Very cool. Well, Joe, this has been amazing. The time has flown by. We could definitely talk for hours on these topics and uh, would love to have you back on the podcast again. Talk some more. Hey, especially if you come to the Northeast, we can sit down and have that beer. There you go. Without that, me dying in the first that, work, <laughs> that works for me. All right. Um, if people want to learn more about you and some of the things you're doing, um, how can they do that? What's your website? So the website is everyday-excellence.com. That's everyday-excellence.com. They get the books there and Amazon and all the places books are sold. But I recommend going to the website because it's an entire environment. Okay. Podcasts go up there on a regular basis. Um, you can get to the Twitter feed from there. You can get to the YouTube channel from there as soon as we finish uh, putting that component on there. Okay. Uh, every single day I pull up a micro blog. So literally it's like an espresso of excellence, just real quick, give you additional stuff. So those are all additional free resources to help individuals get better and improve themselves in their world. Excellent. Everyday-excellence.com. Yes, sir. All right. Well, this has been great. Thanks again for, for coming on the show and taking time out for us. Listeners, hope you guys were taking a lot of notes, a lot of good information here. And uh, yeah, definitely check out the website, everyday-excellence. I'm going to go download the book. I think I could use that every morning. Yeah, excellent grow today. That'd be excellent. All right. And listeners, make sure you share this with your family, friends, and colleagues and stick around because there's always more coming. That's it for me, Coach Harlan saying so long for now. <laughs>